okay, uh, this is a really interesting conversation. I think it's something that we'll, we'll hear more and more about as time goes on. But at this point, uh, it's something that you guys raise on the phone every once in a while when we talk about, you know, energy transition and what it means to mining primarily, right? And where we get some of the minerals and the elements and all these sorts of things that we need to do a lot of the things that we're talking about. But that's not all that we're mining, of course, on Earth. You know, there's still precious metals and all the rest of that stuff. So um, mining continues to go further and further and further. And I think it's a pretty simple equation, right? It's a finite resource. Once you've taken it all out of the ground, it's out of the ground. You've got to go find more somewhere else. So we continue to expand further and further afield. But how far can that go? And what are the consequences of that? We're going to speak with Christopher Polon, who is an independent journalist with bylines in more than a dozen publications. He's also the author of Pitfall, The Race to Mine the World's Most Vulnerable Places. And that's what we're talking about. Christopher, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Is it really that simple? I guess that's what it is, right? We see mining expanding further and further afield into farther and farther reaches of the earth because they have to, right? That's where they've got to go to find what they're looking for. Well, you know, we're mining more than we ever have before. And the clean energy transition that we're all talking about doing or or planning to, governments are planning to do, will be more metals intensive than the world of fossil fuels that we hope to leave behind. Um, and just to put this in context, you know, at the end of the World War II, uh, where my, when Pitfall begins, where my book begins, humanity relied on about a dozen mined commodities. Okay. And if you flash forward to today, we use almost every element in the periodic table. And the cell phone that I'm talking to you through has at least 60 metals in it, all of them mined. And the rare earth metals in the phone which have names that most of us couldn't even pronounce, let alone recognize, make it possible for me to hold in my hand the computing power, you know, of like two rooms of mainframe computers from the 70s. So mining is invisible to most of us, but I don't think it's going to be much longer. Um, like you say, we don't see a lot of mining right in our face. It's something, it, of course it happens. We, we collect these elements, but have we already found everything there is to find in the so-called easy areas? Like, is it going to get more and more extreme as we go along here? Um, that's generally the idea. I mean, the best, easiest to access stuff is, is gone. It's long gone. And so ore grades are plummeting. And that's, that just simply means the amount of metal in the surrounding rock that we, that's economical to dig up. And it's going to force us to sift through ever greater quantities of rock and waste rock, creating more tailings and, 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 and you know, and, and, and so on. And copper is a great example. Like in the early 1800s, you know, we were targeting rocks that held like 20% copper in it. And today, the world's average uh, ore grade for copper is, a, is less than 1%. Wow. That's, an, that's incredible drops. Yeah. And that completely and changes what we is, have to do then. Copper is going to be the biggest bottleneck for metals, too, because electrification can't happen without it. So, right. So, yeah. So we part of where we're going, part of what we're doing is starting to mine the ocean floor, right? That that that's a, a real, I guess, growth area, or is that an expansion area? Are we seeing more and more of that. Does that seem to be a focus now? Um, there's a lot of metal in the ocean, and particularly on the deep seabed, uh, especially. And the, one of the richest areas that's been identified is off the western Pacific Ocean between Hawaii and Mexico. 
Um, and the seabed's littered with these, but like they're like potato-sized rocks. They call them nodules. And they contain relatively high concentrations of stuff we need, especially for batteries or current batteries. Um, stuff like copper and, and cobalt and, and mag, uh, manganese. Um, and, and so the concern is, is that mucking around down there. So that kind of deep sea mining, it's basically a dredging operation, yeah. but it's like two miles deep. Uh, and nobody really knows what large scale commercialization of this activity would do in terms of impacts. But some scientists are warning that it's going to create these curtains of sediments that kind of rove around the ocean. Um, and we don't know much about the life down there. So at least over 20 countries at present have are backing, uh, you know, uh, uh, whether it's a moratorium or a, a pause until we learn more uh, about and have good regulations in place. So it's it remains controversial, but there are companies that are that say that they're ready to do it by 2025. It's an interesting sort of paradox because we're talking about, you know, changing the energy that we use on Earth for the environment. And then we're talking about mining in the ocean, which we don't really know what the consequences could be when it comes to the environment. So, I mean, we're sort of you should have that settled before you jump into this whole hog, I would assume. Right. Sure. And, and, you know, like any kind of energy system that we try to build or replace is going to have impacts. And, and it's just. And so the question is, how do we minimize those impacts? And that's what my book really kind of drills yeah. down at, is we're going to need to do a lot more mining, no matter how much we ramp up recycling. So how do we do it with the least environmental and, and social impact, right? Because currently, business as usual, as usual mining, particularly in the global south where we're going to have to do a lot of this mining, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of impacts, and and it's not just environment; it's it's human as well. Well, yeah, you talk about the human, and it's good for a while, right? There there are jobs that are created, but they don't last very long. And the other thing is, as this becomes more and more dangerous and more and more extreme, it relies more and more on on robots and automation. So the, the, there's not even going to be an employment piece to this, correct? Well, I was at a conference last week, and there was this company called Offworld AI. And they have developed an entire suite of robots that would uh, autonomously mine without human guidance or, or that, that would, they would learn on their own and get better and better. And the vision would be to have all processing and smelting of the ore and right from exploration to smelting done by these machines. And so there's pros and cons of that kind of automation. And, and we're, we're not there yet, obviously. But, um, you know, the challenge with not having people in mine sites is that you know, historically, people in poor countries have relied on those trade-offs, right? Like jobs, relatively good-paying jobs, um, in exchange for the impacts of mining, which might be, you know, social upheaval or uh, big tailings dams or, you know, uh, damage to water and aquifer and all that kind of stuff. And so the relatively lower-skilled jobs are already disappearing. So, like, think about driving those jobs, driving those giant haul trucks. It's a tedious, dangerous but relatively high-paid job, and it's already going away. And and you make a great case in, in the piece that you um, wrote, uh, or I guess it's actually it's, it's based on the book that you wrote, but I was reading yeah. it in The Walrus, um, talking about how, like you say, these, these smaller nations typically that really want the economic activity and they can see an upside, eventually it goes away. It's finite. It doesn't last that long, and then they're left with the aftermath, and they're 
typically in worse off shape. We already have examples where that's happened before, right, Christopher? Sure. Um, and so uh, one, something that's bright that's on the horizon uh, is that, like, in my book, I look at Indonesia, uh, where they have a lot of nickel, for example, which is needed for batteries. And they have an enact, they have an enact, enacted laws that demand that miners don't just export the nickel. They process it there and have to add value to it. So, so that's positive, but it's also a double-edged sword too, right? So there's over 30 nickel smelters, mostly Chinese owned there now, making components for batteries, but you know, it's all coal powered. And, uh, which has massive impact. And also, you know, some of the companies historically have just dumped all the waste into the ocean. So back to my point, any kind of transition is going to have pretty sweeping impacts. Yeah. And, and so it's just, that's where the idea of, um, how much, uh, you know, trying to find a way to make the most of metals that we already have above ground, uh, already through recycling just makes so much more sense as much as you can, right? Yeah, of course. And there's some companies that have said that we're only going to take as much as we need until it, we can, you know, make it work with recycling, right? Like they're going to put yeah. limits on it. So these conversations are happening. They are absolutely. And, and they have to happen, right? Because, um, you know, the projections I've seen about how much metal we'll need to mine, theoretically, it, it, it looks good on paper, but, yeah. you know, the World Bank said we'll need like 3 billion tons of, of things like copper and lots of other things just to get to 2050 if we were serious about the clean energy transition. And so the, the amount of mining that we need to do, let alone finance those mines and actually dig them up and, and use the metal... Uh, People are already saying that's not possible, but we have to find another way. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating wrinkle to this whole discussion. Uh, Christopher, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate you being here.